Good morning, folks. I am privileged to be here. Somebody needs to turn the lights on. There we go. Oh, there are people here. I'm uh, privileged to be with you this morning. Uh, bring greetings from Rich Conwisher, who today is in Dallas, Texas. Uh, many of you know, if not all of you know, that our former colleague and your former associate pastor, Brian Dunnigan, died a few weeks ago very suddenly and unexpectedly. And that community of faith is scrambling, trying to figure out what to do and how to cover the bases. And they asked Rich to come out and preach for them this morning. So that's where he is today. He texted me a little while ago and said that the hotel where he stayed last night um, was filled with high school girls preparing for a cheerleading competition. <laughs> I think I slept better last night than he did. Uh, but it's, it's good to be with you, uh, not only you who are here in this room, but those of you who are joining us online as well. Rich did ask that we pray for him and for the Highland Park Church. So join me, if you would, in prayer. Father, we do thank you for Rich, for his life and his ministry, and pray that you would bless his labors in Dallas this morning. Help him to bring hope and comfort to a hurting congregation. Uh, to give them a sense of the, the future and the purpose that you have for them, even in the wake of this sudden and unexpected tragedy. And bless that church, Lord, a beacon of light in that community. Uh, help them to continue to turn to you for everything that they need going forward. Give that to us today as well, Lord. Help us to turn to you, to open our hearts and inspire our minds to follow you, not just today, but throughout the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Probably close to 30 years ago, my very good friend Bill Manus, and many of you knew Bill Manus. He was the, the longtime director of recreation ministry here at the Peachtree Church. Bill and his wife Jackie bought a farm in North Georgia. Now, to say farm is a little bit of a misnomer because Bill said that when he got it, it was nothing but trees. It was just as far as the eye could see, tree after tree after tree after tree. And, and there were a couple of pastures and, and meadows, but more trees than anything else. And in order to do what Bill wanted to do at this farm, he, he talked to some people and hired a logger who would come in and select cut some trees. This logger came in, surveyed the trees, and, and cut some roads in there, marked the trees that he was going to cut, but, but left lots of other trees as well. And so he came in, he cut down the trees, they were sold, they were turned into lumber, and Bill pocketed some money and began to dream what he was going to do with the money and with his property. Wasn't too long after that that a springtime storm blew through Georgia. You know what they're like. You've lived here long enough. You know that they just pop out nowhere and just run across the land. A couple of days after the storm, Bill drove up to look at his property and was stunned to find what he thought were strong, healthy trees just blown down all over the property. So he contacted the logger and the guy came out and, and surveyed the property with Bill again and explained to Bill that he really wasn't surprised that, that all these trees that they thought were strong and, and could sustain themselves were weakened. 
When they select cut the trees, some of the windbreak for the other trees was removed. And not only that, but he explained to Bill that the, the roots of these trees are interconnected and they hold one another together and they hold one another up. And when some of the trees were removed, the trees that they thought were strong were not as strong as they thought they were. They were actually weak. And, and because the roots were no longer alive, those trees that were left lost the strength of the other trees. So when the storm blew through, they just fell down. What keeps you standing when the storms of life blow through? You know, for the last several months, we've been working our way through the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, using this outline, as it were. What a mess is the first three chapters. Sin is worse than you realize. Chapters four through seven really help us realize what a gift God is, that grace is bigger than your struggles. And, and then what a God in chapters eight through 11. Love is stronger than your circumstances. And we work our way towards the finish line in 12 through 16 with what a difference. Peace is closer than you think. Mary Hoffman and I were chatting earlier before the service and she said, I can see the finish line of the series on Romans and it ends well. I think she was talking about next week's sermons, not today's sermon, but, but I don't know. So let's take a look at the first seven verses of Romans 15 to, to hear what Paul said to them and what God is saying to us today. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. You know, there is a difference between strength and weakness in the way that, let's say, the world out there looks at strength and weakness and the way that, that we who are seeking to be followers of Jesus tend to look at strength and weakness. And a very simple way of understanding is to realize that out there, worldly strength is predominantly seen as a tool to use to dominate other people, to put other people down, to advance one's self at the risk of damaging or sometimes with the intent of damaging someone else. If you don't believe that, just scroll social media for a little while. After you've looked at recipes and dog videos and cat videos, you'll begin to see young people saying snarky things about others, putting them down, trying to humiliate them, to use what is seen as worldly strength to put others in a bad position. A friend of mine, 
good friend of mine was at the Kentucky-Georgia game a few weeks ago. He is a Kentucky fan. And just to put it into perspective, what was the score of that game, Hank? Do you remember? It's a good thing I wrote it down. It was, it was 51 to 13. Georgia, by the way. Georgia won. Now, my friend, the, the Kentucky fan, was wearing Kentucky blue and Kentucky colors and, and Kentucky memorabilia. And he said, a couple days after the game, he said as he walked in, everyone was polite to him. Everyone was cordial to him. They greeted him, said, you know, good luck, and had kind things to say to him. And as Georgia piled up the score, that's not what he said to me, but that's what happened, 51 to 13, as the score advanced, People around continued to be affirming and encouraging to my friend. He was having a great experience until about halfway through the fourth quarter when somebody sitting a couple of rows behind him and off there had apparently overserved himself a little bit and proceeded to tell my Kentucky friend, we're killing you, we're murdering you, you're no good. My friend said, yeah, I, I've been here the whole game. Yeah. I've seen what's going on here, yeah. I, 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 I see the score. We're murdering you. Worldly strength, particularly when it's been seasoned with adult beverages, tends to be used to harm other people. Whereas godly strength is always used to help others. Worldly strength hurts others. Godly strength, the stuff that Paul was talking about in Romans 15, helps other people. Now, you can't just wake up tomorrow morning and decide that you're going to be a godly strength kind of person and go out into the world. I don't know how many of you kept judgment journals that Rich talked about last week. If you were here last Sunday, Rich suggested that each of us just one day a week write down every time we have a tendency to be judgmental towards someone else. One of my friends said he got 100 yards from the church before he was being judgmental about somebody else in traffic. It happens. It happens. You can't just run the Christian life on your own fuel. We need certain tools. And Paul listed out some of the tools that we need in his, church, in, in his letter to the church in Rome. He said that we need the tool of endurance, we need the tool of encouragement, and we need the tool of harmony. The interesting thing is that these things don't just happen. Paul said they have to be given to us. They don't just pop up. Like endurance, for instance. Endurance you, you don't just wake up on a 32-degree morning and decide, uh, having been a couch potato your entire life, you're going to go out and run a marathon. It just doesn't work that way. You have to build up endurance. Uh, many of you know that uh, I have, for about the last mm, 15, 16 years, had the practice of going out around my birthday and riding my age on the Silver Comet Trail. Uh, this is a picture from uh, this last September when I turned 66. I had just finished riding 66 on the Silver Comet Trail. I had enough gas in my tank to hold the bike up over my head. I was telling the guy, take the picture, take the picture, quick. 
As, as, as I advance in age, I'm beginning to think that I need to get away from riding miles, and maybe it's time to start riding kilometers. <laughs> Shorten that ride a little bit. But I don't just go out and ride 66 miles. I begin as soon as the world starts warming up enough, and I'll go out on the Silver Comet, and I'll ride 25 miles one week, and then 30 the next week, and then 35 the week after that, and then 40 the week after that, doing rides during the week, slowly but surely over the course of the summer, building up my endurance. It's the same way in the Christian life, folks. We have to root ourselves daily, regularly in Christ in order for him to build up within us spiritual endurance, spiritual encouragement, spiritual harmony. And those things have to be received in order for us to be able to share them with others. They're not given to us just for our own good. They are given to us for the community of faith, to live in relationship with one another. Realize that in the church in Rome were all kinds of people, just as there are all kinds of people in this church this morning. There are folks who were at the top of the social economic rung, and there were folks who were at the bottom of the social economic rung. They didn't interact with one another all the time. And when they got together for worship, suddenly they were pressed into relationship with one another. They may not necessarily know each other well enough. And Paul says that in their relationships with one another, they had to endure the time with one another to help encourage each other and to live in harmony. Now think about that as you start thinking about the family Thanksgiving table this Thursday. Everybody's got the crazy uncle that has to be endured, that you have to encourage your family to live in harmony with one another around the table. And I know that's a reality because I just watched all of you going <laughs> with each other. I understand how that happens. The best way to be given these characteristics by God is to have a role model, to have someone who builds into your life these characteristics so that you can live them out. In other places in his letters, Paul talks about what theologians call the imitation motif. Uh, here is one from 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. He says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Uh, a little bit later in that letter, he says, it wasn't because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And finally, in Philippians, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Every one of us needs what I call somebody with skin on. It's real easy to read the Bible and to believe this, but we need someone with skin on to model this out for us, to show us how to live. Yesterday, Lib and I were out running a couple of errands, and we had come by the church, come around the church, and we were headed north on Roswell Road. And um, as we approached the, the traffic light right up there at Blackland, uh, I, excuse me, at uh, Habersham, I noticed that the light at Blackland was red, and traffic was backed up for me all the way to Habersham. Uh, I was the next car, but I didn't want to pull forward and block the intersection. 
So I was waiting, I was watching the light up there, I was watching traffic flow, and the car behind me honked their horn. <laughs> looked up in the rearview mirror, looked back forward, and they honked their horn. The white Tesla. honked its horn. Now they didn't just beep it. I think the guy put his elbow on it and quite literally kept the horn honking. By now, cars around us are doing this and I was trying to decide whether I should get out and go have a theological conversation with the individual. <laughs> I didn't do it because I thought, you know Chuck, tomorrow you're preaching on endurance and encouragement and harmony. But think about it, folks. That's the world in which we live, in which that sainted person in the car behind you, bless their heart, is sitting down on the horn, getting on your last nerve. And every one of us has that person in our life who has the spiritual gift of getting on our last nerve. So in order to live out endurance and encouragement and harmony, we need somebody with skin on to show us how to do this. Long time ago when I was playing uh, junior high football, junior high is what existed before there was middle school, by the way. I was playing junior high and high school football and I remember reading this book by Gail Sayers. It was his autobiography called I Am Third. I wonder if anybody else remembers reading this as a kid. Okay, three hands. Hey, okay, now you're starting to wake up in the sermon. Okay, uh, the Gail Sayers title for this book came about because someone taught him the philosophy, the Lord is first, your family and friends are second, and I am third. Now, as a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, that made an impression on me. I remember the cover of that book. I remember reading that book. I remember Gail Sayers teaching me, the Lord is first, my family and friends are second, and I am third. And he served as a role model for me. Now, I didn't play running back. I, I was an interior lineman, but still, Gail Sayers was a role model for me, not in playing football as much as it was in how to live my life. I am third. And then somewhere along the way, somebody shared with me a, a simpler way of remembering this, and that is to just think simply about the word joy. Now, all of us want to live a joyful life, but the J in joy stands for Jesus. The O stands for others, and the Y stands for yourself. The reason the Christian message took hold in Rome is because Paul taught the believers there to live joyful lives. Jesus first, others second, themselves last. Now remember, this isn't something you can just wake up tomorrow morning and, and while you're brushing your teeth, look in the mirror and say, by golly, I'm going to live a joyful life. Because I promise you, the minute you do that, 
The world will conspire against you. And when you get in traffic on the way to wherever you are going tomorrow, whether it's to work or run errands or, or get in the car to go to the Atlanta airport to fly off to Timbuktu for Thanksgiving, and everyone in the Atlanta airport will be filled with joy, right? <laughs> if you're driving to work or whatever, there's going to be somebody behind you honking the horn, getting on your last nerve. You can't just say, I'm going to be joyful today. It doesn't work that way. Those, those characteristics have to be given to us by God. And when God gives them to us, when we allow Jesus to be first in our life, and not just on Sunday morning, but every other day of the week, whatever it takes for you to do that and live that out. For me, I have to begin every day. Let me rephrase that. I choose to begin every day because I need to begin every day reading scripture and praying. I simply need that infusion of God in my life at the beginning of the day and throughout the day. Because you see, when we live joy lives, Jesus, others, yourself, then our enemies become our friends, our opponents become our colleagues. It's, it's like the phenomenon that, that I see just about every weekend this time of year when I'm watching college football or I watch professional football on Sunday. It is not unusual to see a scene something like this take place after a game. These players who are enemies of one another during the game because they are brothers in Christ with one another meet in the middle of the field and kneel with one another and pray with and for one another. You can't do that if you're running on worldly strength. You can only do that if you're living your life with joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. You know, Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when the storms are going to come along in your life. And I don't, I don't know what the storm is that you're dealing with right now, or that you are just coming out of, or that is going to break in your life in the next week or month or year. In this world, we will have trouble. But remember that Jesus also said, take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, to live a joyful life, when we put Jesus first, he builds spiritual endurance in us. That's, that's that daily, regular investment of God in your life. He enables us to be encouraging one to another. And he fosters harmony in our lives, within ourselves, in our relationship with God, and then in our relationship with others. You see, the strength that you think you have will fail. It's just reality. But if you allow Christ to put his strength in you, then the weakness the weak points in your life are strengthened by him 
so that he can use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. Storms come. We know. We have lived through them, and, and we will experience them again. But friends, if you put Jesus first, not yourself, if you put Jesus first, not others, but Jesus, Jesus, others, than yourself, then God will build in you the capacity of endurance and, and the ability to encourage and harmony that will make you so incredibly strong that when the storms of life come along and you will be a tree that is left standing that is powerful and can sustain itself through the, through the storms because of the work of God in your life. Jesus, others, yourself. It's joy. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you have given us your spirit as a guarantee of your love for us and our ability to live for you. I pray for these friends here today, hungry to live joy-filled lives. But we recognize that we can only do that by your work in our lives. So, Father, fill them with Jesus. Give them spiritual endurance and spiritual encouragement and spiritual harmony in their lives so that, that you will use them in this world as joy-filled people to share your joy with the world around us. Help them to put down deep, deep tap roots so that they will always be strong in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. And together, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.